in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. Morning has broken. Morning has broken. The Bible just has so much to say about mornings. And I think just some of the observations that I have observed over my very short time here on this planet. The Bible tells us that our Savior prayed early in the morning. And Joshua mighty man of God is pictured as a man who rose up early in the morning. Think of that morning, if you would, as you allow your mind to go to the book of Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham rose up early in the morning and he took Isaac to the Mount Moriah to offer him up as a sacrifice. Oh, when we think about mornings in terms of scripture, what a morning it was for Jacob when he awoke from sleep. And he set up a pillar of stones in honor of his God at Bethel. All right. It must have been a glorious morning for Daniel. When the first rays of sunshine lit up the city of Babylon after his night of being in the lion's den. Imagine how beautiful was the morning for the disciples, those that had been with Jesus. Yeah after they spent that terrible night on the Sea of Galilee, tossed to and fro in the midst of the storm. And while every one of these mornings may be great, none of them can compare to the morning that is discussed in this passage of scripture that we have already read on today. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, dawn meaning the sunrise, dawn meaning the first light of the morning, dawn meaning that time of the daybreak. Perhaps you are not a morning person. Uh, well, I must say that I am a morning person and I have calculated that uh, I have had at least 25,550 mornings 
already in my life. But I can truly say that I have never had a morning like the one that is mentioned in our text. I would like for us this morning to spend some time looking at a special morning. It wasn't that great morning when our Savior, when our Lord Jesus Christ conquered death, hell of the grave. And there was never a morning like that ever before, nor will there ever be one like it again. Oh, what a glorious morning it was when, when, when Jesus rose again. What a morning it was, people of God, when Jesus pulled the stinger from the death and the grave and eternal life. Hallelujah. And he brought eternal life to all of those who will put their faith in him. Oh, what a morning, what a morning, what a morning. So on this morning, for just the next few minutes, I want to look at and examine again the wonderful events that occurred that special morning when Jesus arose from the dead. So, on this resurrection Sunday morning, I want to share a few observations from that special morning that make that morning a morning that was like no other. And I'd like to say to you, from this thought, morning has broken. This is the morning when the Christian church celebrates what we have come to know as Easter, or for those as well, Resurrection Sunday morning. All right. Some churches call it Easter, but I prefer the name of Resurrection. But of course, like so many traditions that are held by the quote-unquote church universal, it would be impossible or difficult, if not impossible, to get that name changed. Mm. But may I remind you this morning that Resurrection Sunday is not about Easter bunnies, it's not about Easter eggs, or it's not about giving gifts, or it's not about an Easter ham. It's about celebrating the fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first Resurrection Sunday morning. So with that in mind on this morning, let us journey back to that first Sunday resurrection morning. And let's look in on the events of the tomb of Jesus on that morning and see what happened and what all of this means to you and me and to all of those who know the Lord on this morning. So as we're reading here in the book of Matthew. Matthew is the gospel of the king. In chapters 1 through verses 10, it reveals Jesus as the king who rested. In chapters 14 through 20, and then in chapters 21 through 27, it talks about the king who was rejected. But here in chapter 28, we're talking about the king who was resurrected. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Matthew records the fact that two women came to the tomb early that morning. And the other gospel writers also revealed the fact that others also came to the tombs as well. You might say, well, where is that contradiction? There must be a contradiction. No, there is no contradiction. Other groups arrived at the tomb as well, but they came in separate groups. But however they came, they came sad, they were sad, they were defeated, and they were discouraged. 
Some had come because they had witnessed uh, uh, and heard about the death of Jesus on the cross. And they were coming there to mourn Jesus and to pay their last respects to his body. So as we consider their motives for coming to the tomb on that morning, we can see what they were doing early that Sunday morning. Verse 1, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now these two godly women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Less, who had watched the cross, were now leaving their homes, and it was yet dark. What a fitting scenario, what a fitting scene, because I have heard it said that sorrow does wake up early. But it was the mission of Mary and Mary Magdalene. It was their mission to perform and to go and to wash and perfume the broken face of Jesus. They did it out of love. They did it because it was the Middle Eastern custom at that time to anoint the body of those that had passed away before the body would begin to decay. And I'm sure as they stood there at the tomb that they were worried and they were in mourning. Very early on that first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and being human, as they were walking along, they probably asked each other, well, Mary, yes, Mary, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? That had to be going through their minds. Mm. Maybe they were coming to pray or to meditate. Maybe they were coming to make sure that everything was in order at the tomb. But whatever that reason was, we are told that they came to see the sepulcher. Other gospel accounts tell us that some of the women came to perform one last labor of love for Jesus. They came to finish anointing the body of Jesus for his burial. Because they were servants and they wanted to serve Jesus just one last time. In the book of St. John chapter 20, these verses tell us that Mary Magdalene lingered at the tomb after the others had already gone away. So here was this woman who loved Jesus. Here was this woman who owed Jesus so much. There had been a time in her life when she had been possessed by seven demons. But her life had been radically changed by Jesus. And she loved Jesus more than she loved life itself. And if you remember, she was one of those last people that were standing there on the cross as Jesus gave up the ghost. But then she also had the honor of being the first to see him after he had risen from the dead. She loved him so much for what he had done for her. And surely her heart was broken that morning. But she still came to love him and to worship him. Just take a moment and think about this. Can you identify with these women, people of God? Thank God for those who just want to be near Jesus. Uh, 
I thank God for those who just want to love him and worship him and serve him faithfully. It is those people to whom Jesus reveals himself. It is those people whose hearts burn with the flame of love for our risen Savior. But don't you think it's odd that it was just the woman that came to the tomb on that morning? Of course. If it weren't for those faithful, godly ladies in the church, most churches would have to shut their doors. Amen, somebody? Thank God for redeemed women who love Jesus with all of their hearts. Amen, godly women. Hallelujah. Humanity was the only one that sent ambassadors to the tomb where Jesus laid early that Sunday morning. But heaven also sent a representative to proclaim the good news that Jesus was not dead, but he was yet alive. So let us look in on the activities of the angel that first resurrection Sunday morning. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. The scripture says that the angel rolled away the stone. There is significance in the angel rolling away the stone. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 16 that while the women made their way to the tomb to finish preparing the body for burial, one of their concerns was how they were going to remove the stone. For you see, the stone represented the finality of death. That stone said he is gone forever and he's never coming back. Thank God. That Jesus took care of that stone, people of God. Hallelujah. Well, that stone was there not to let Jesus out. Because he was long gone before the angel even arrived on the scene to even begin to prepare to roll away that stone. But that stone was rolled away so that men could look into the tomb and see that it would be forever empty. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. The angel was preparing to remove one obstacle from all witnessing the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Why did the angel roll that stone away from the tomb opening? Again, it was not so that Jesus could get out because again, he was already gone. He had left his grave behind. But he didn't walk through the door. Hallelujah. He didn't walk through the door. His resurrection body wouldn't need a stone rolled away so that he could get out of that tomb. His resurrection body would just pass right through the walls of that tomb. The body, resurrected bodies are different from all other bodies at the stone. There was an entrance there. It was an entrance and not an exit that the angel was creating when he rolled away that stone. Because it was necessary for the women and everybody else to take a look inside and see that that tomb was empty. They would have had difficulty in getting in if that stone had been rolled across that opening. 
those women were just so worried about that problem. But I want to tell you today, when God sends an angel on your behalf, the angels will always solve your worries. When God sent an angel to the tomb to help out Mary and Mary Magdalene on that morning, Magdalene on that morning, God solved all of their worries because the angel of God rolled away the stone from the tomb. Hallelujah. So the Bible says that the angel sat upon it. So after rolling the stone away from the opening of the tomb, the angel sat upon the stone. So sitting on that stone was representative of two important things, people of God. It proclaimed triumph and it proclaimed truth. Everybody say triumph and truth. That's what resurrection means for all who would receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. The angel sitting on the stone represents triumph over all the obstructions of Jesus' resurrection. There the angel sat. He sat there defying all the power of hell that would try to come and roll the stone back against the opening once again. For I believe that with the angel sitting on that stone, it was an emphatic statement that said that the resurrection was an accomplished fact. And Jesus was forevermore victorious over death, Satan, and hell. Glory be to God. Secondly, there was truth. Resurrection represents truth. The angel sitting on that stone was to make sure that the evidence of the resurrection was going to be available to all of those who would come to see Jesus. And it was the angel's job to make sure that the tomb would remain open for everybody to be able to come in and to see that Jesus was not there. The angel would make sure that truth, not error, was proclaimed and that truth would always prevail, not only them, but even forevermore. Hallelujah. The Bible says that the earth trembled with sorrow at the death of Jesus, but that the earth also leaped for joy at his resurrection. The earthquake. As the earth shook and as it quaked, the earthquake signaled the conquest of Jesus over the power of sin and death. For the earthquake emphasizes the power of the resurrection. Glory be to God. Whenever the Bible record speaks about earthquakes, that means God is speaking people of God. Verse 3, his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Matthew 27 and verses 62 through 67 tell us that the chief priests and the Pharisees were concerned that the prophecies of Jesus might actually come to pass. And they wanted to guard the tomb so that Jesus would not be able to get out. And as I was thinking about that, and, and you know, I said, it, you know, it's just sad when unbelievers more about the Bible and believe it more than people who claim to know Jesus. Yeah. Amen, somebody. Yeah. So they sealed the tomb with Pilate's seal, and they posted a company of guards at the door. There was an, a, a detachment of soldiers that stood as an obstacle between the saints and their entrance to the tomb of Jesus. Yeah. But oh, when the angel appeared, right. ha, 
that angel that God sent from heaven dispatched and made short work of all of those soldiers. There was fear in those soldiers. And their trembling and their quaking, their shaking was, was, was not just some itty bitty bit of trembling either. The word shake is the same word that's used as earthquake. They were shaking when they saw the angel of the Lord. And they were convulsed with terror. And so you see these battle-hardened soldiers, these battle-hardened men, they all fainted at the feet of just one of God's heavenly angels like a silly bunch of teenagers at a Justin Bieber concert. <laughs> Hallelujah. Another obstacle to their faith. The guards at the tomb had also been rolled away. It says in verse 3 that his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. The appearance of the angel reflects heaven and holiness. White is for purity and holiness. Jesus is pure and he is holy. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. So that angel that was there that had been dispatched to the tomb from heaven by God himself, the angel's appearance was one of glory. And the lightning that the scripture talks about speaks of the glittering and the shining and the everlasting brilliance of the glory of God. Hallelujah. All of us as people of God would do well to evaluate all the glories of the earth in view of the great splendor of heaven. Too many folk, saved and unsaved, think the bright lights of the earth are where the splendor is. But all of heaven's brightness, all of heaven's radiance, all of heaven's glory, hallelujah, it will make the brightest of all of earth's life look act like darkness. Mm. Glory be to God, hallelujah. The glory of the Lord, verse 5 here. And the angel answered and said unto the women, fear ye not ye. For I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall ye see him. And lo, I have told you. So as the angel began to speak to the women that morning, the greatest obstacle of all was removed. The obstacle of unbelief. For the angel's message inspired them to believe in the resurrection of the Lord from the dead. The angel reminded them of their past. They were reminded of the crucifixion that had taken place three days earlier. But all oh, these people that were there, Mary and Martha, they didn't need a reminder. They had both been there already. Hallelujah. Jesus' death provided the sacrifice that was needed to cleanse all sinners from their sins and to make everyone who would come to them, to him, right with God. So the angel in verse 6 tells them, you are here at this tomb, but Jesus isn't here. He is risen. 
That was the greatest proclamation ever to fall upon human ears. The death of Jesus was perfect. It was eternal payment for sin. But his resurrection was God's receipt for the amount that had been paid in full. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. A dead Savior can't save anybody. But a living Savior can offer salvation to all who would come to him by faith. So when Jesus died on the cross three days earlier, he said, it is finished. But when he rose from the dead three days later, God the Father said, I'm satisfied. Glory be to God. Now Jesus had proven that who he was was all he claimed that he was all along. Hallelujah. But now Jesus came to declare victory over death. Those that came to see Jesus were astonished. There are two reasons why the appearance and the arrangement of those grave clothes. It says here the angel's invitation is for them to look into the tomb and to see for themselves that Jesus is gone. So later when Peter and John had come to the tomb, John records the fact that the linen cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus' body were laying there like an empty cocoon. But that napkin that had been about Jesus' face was folded in place by itself. This sight caused those who saw Jesus to believe in the resurrection. So there were two reasons why the appearance and the arrangement of the grave clothes of such importance. First, that meant that there was no sign of human intervention there at the grave. If someone had taken Jesus' body, they couldn't have removed it through his grave clothes. And it's likely that they wouldn't have removed them anyway. They would have taken the body with them, still wrapped up in all of those cloths that they had been bound in. But they also would not have taken the time to fold the napkin. But it too would have been taken with the body, or at least they would have taken and thrown it away in a haphazard manner. So in short, people of God, the empty tomb was a scene of perfect order. Hallelujah. To me, that suggests that the resurrection had already taken place. Because it was the ancient oriental custom to have a napkin and to have a napkin folded. When a a man with servants was eating a meal, he would often use his napkin to signal them during the course of the meal. And he left the table and wadded up his napkin and it meant that he was finished and he wouldn't be back. But however, if he neatly folded the napkin and told his servants that he was just stepping away for a moment or two, but that he would be back. So Jesus was telling the women, Jesus was telling his disciples, I may be out of your sight right now, but oh, I'll be back. When Peter and John arrived at the tomb, they feared the worst. Perhaps they thought that the robbers had come and, uh, or perhaps the Jews had come and taken away the body of Jesus. Even Mary missed the napkin and assumed the gardener had moved the body of Jesus. 
But there were those who knew that this custom was something that had been done in this, in this particular time. Verses 7 and 8 read, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there ye shall see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. So they were to go and to share the good news that Jesus was risen from the dead. It was these same disciples who were cowering in fear that the next cross might be their own cross. But go and tell. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. That's a message of life. That's a message of victory, people of God. Amen. It was a message that they all needed to hear. And it's a message that all of us need to hear on this morning. Amen. Jesus is risen from the dead. Yeah. And may we never forget the message of the tomb. Because it's as fresh today as it was over 2,000 years ago. Jesus is yet alive. And men who are trapped in the bondage of fear and sin still need to hear that Jesus is written. Verse 8, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Verse 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So as they were going away to tell others, glory be to God, Jesus met them halfway there. He came to give them a personal word of encouragement. He came to give them a personal word of hope. Because he said, all hell, all hell means have joy. He came to them personally. So that they might know firsthand that he indeed had risen from the dead. Hallelujah. It's a wonderful thing, people of God, to hear from others what Jesus can do. But there is nothing like meeting him for yourself. Oh, what a glorious day when Jesus himself comes to everybody that's trapped in sin and reveals himself as Lord and Savior. There is nothing like meeting the living Jesus for oneself. Do you remember the day when you gave your life to him? So when they met him, they were so overcome with love and joy that they fell at his feet in worship. That should be the natural reaction to all of those who love Jesus. They can't help but come into his presence with worship and praise. It's a fact that those that knew that the risen Savior, those that knew him, would have a desire to worship him. Do you have a desire this morning, people of God, to worship the Lord? Hallelujah. And may I remind you this morning that he is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy that we should give him glory. He is worship of all the praise that we can give to him. There's need to hold back in your love and your expressions of love for what our Lord did for us. After all, Jesus is the theme of all of heaven's worship. Yes. 
He should be the theme of worship on this earth as well. Verse 10, then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there ye shall see me. Mm. Be not afraid. Means they were trembling. Trembling was happening to their bodies. They were having uncontrolled trauma and uncontrolled tremors. They were bewildered. Bewildered means, and it means that they, were, they had ecstasy in their mind. They were swept beyond their normal selves and the silence that they had was to show that, that, that they were in awe of what had taken place. Can you see those two women as they explode from the tomb and as they began to race where they think the disciples may be and their robes were flying behind them as they lifted up their skirts. That had to be a joyful sight on this morning. Hallelujah. Be not afraid. Go and tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there they shall see me. So when the Lord speaks to these ladies, he speaks to them to comfort their hearts and to confirm their mission. He assures them and tells them that all is well and that the time for them to ever be afraid again has finally passed away. The Lord says to you today, fear not, don't ever be afraid, because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. Our Heavenly Father God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost had created everything in this universe, every speck of stellar dust every color and hue, every texture. He created the firefly and the fires of Archerus. He held and he holds all things together. He was and is the atomic bond that most sophisticated science labs try to explore even to this day. All the universe was created by Jesus and is moving toward him at all times. In the book of Colossians chapter 1, Verses 15 through 23 in the Message Bible. We look at this son and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at his son. We look at his son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everybody. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant, Harmonies, all because of his death. Yeah. 
his blood that poured down from the cross. Mm. Glory be to God. You yourselves, you yourselves are a case study of what Jesus does. At one time you all had your backs turned to God thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, everybody say, but now. But now, now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together. And you were whole and holy in his presence. Oh, I love verse 23. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets this message. So when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, his disciples ran away from the scene. When he was being tried, Peter was cursing and denying him, even though he knew him. If you were in Jesus' sandals, would you have said, go tell my brothers I'm going to meet them in Galilee? Or would you have said, go tell those cowards and those losers that I'm back and they're in big trouble now? So after Jesus died, Jesus descended into hell. Then the Bible says that he ascended on high and gave gifts to men. If I went to hell for people who forsook and denied me, you know what I'd do? I'd go to heaven and say, Father, come on, let's deal with them. They've got some lessons to learn. Didn't you say in your word, Lord, that you chasing those you love? Well, Lord, I just think it's time to let the chastening begin. At one time or another, we all have wanted to teach people lessons. At one time or another, we've all wanted to be able to straighten a few people out and shake them up and set them right. But you know what? That's not the heart of our Lord Jesus. When he ascended, he didn't say, Father... Let's jack these guys up. He said, Father, let's give gifts to them. Hallelujah. If you don't believe that Jesus was resurrected, I challenge you today to explain to me where his body went. Because I know that the body was not there. The resurrection is the most analyzed event in the history of all of mankind. But I also think that it's also the most provable. That's why Jesus said, one sign I'll give you. Destroy this body and in three days I will rise again. And I believe that the resurrection verifies that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Today, we have over 2,000 years of church history to validate the truth of our faith. Jesus died for us. But in his living, he loved us. Dying, he saved us. Buried, he carried all of our 
sins away. Where is that now that I need her? Jesus won us forgiveness. He presents us with all the benefits of a renewed life. If we would come to him, have you come to the realization today that Jesus is alive and that he's the one that you need? Morning has broken through, people of God. Morning has broken through. Three men died on a hill called Calvary. One man died in his sins, and he went to hell because he rejected Jesus. One man died to sin. He turned to Jesus by faith and was saved. And the third man, Jesus died for sin. He gave his life on that cross so that you and I might have our sins forgiven, that we might miss hell and go to heaven. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity. If you will come to Jesus by faith, believing that he died and that he rose again, you can be saved. And if you are already saved and you have allowed the things of this world or an old bitter spirit to come between you and the Lord who loves you, you need to come back. Come back to Jesus and experience his forgiveness right now. There are two roads that you can travel. One leads to perdition. But everybody that's on the road that leads to perdition when they are born into this world, most people will live their entire lives on that road to perdition. They'll die there and they'll go, ultimately, to hell. But the other road leads to heaven. And only a few people ever walk that road. And only a few people who will commit their lives to Jesus will make it to heaven. My question is, which road are you on today? If you're on the wrong road, it's not too late to change directions. Come to Jesus. If you know Jesus, you can worship him right now. Thank you for listening to today's message. Visit www.rwolfc.com for articles, blog posts, message references, and our monthly calendar of events. 